You're listening to the Taking Back Slut podcast with Jennifer Doan, bringing you talks, tools, and tips so you can be the safest, sexiest slut you can be. Welcome to the Taking Back Slut podcast. This is a super exciting episode because I have Carvel Wallace with me today. Um, usually I would just do like a like a mishmash intro that I've done some research on the person I'm talking to and I've made up my own bio for them, but his bio is so stacked that I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's Oh no. We... <laughs> yep, yeah, it's happening. Oh, no. It's happening. <laughs> Wait, which one are you reading? Is not you're not the one from the website, are you? No, 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 the one you gave me, the one you gave oh, me. Oh, right, I did send you one. Okay. Yes, good. you did. Yeah, deep All breath, right. don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. So, Carvel <laughs> is a New York Times bestselling author, a podcaster, memoirist, and a regular contributor to the New York Times magazine. He was the parenting advice columnist for Slate Magazine and was a columnist at MTV News and has written for Pitchfork, GQ, Esquire, Glamour, ESPN, among others. He writes about race, culture, and arts. His next book due out in 2021 is called Profile of People Who Hurt Me, and it's a memoir about recovering from childhood trauma and finding a way back to wholeness. He's currently working on a podcast for Transmitter Media about spiritual and ethical philosophies of Fred Rogers. And that first episode launches in October. So that, I mean, that's a whole lot of amazing things in there. <laughs> that, that's the type of bio that makes me sound good for just having talked to you. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> uh, so this isn't usually your topic of, uh, of interest, the sexuality isn't really something you've talked about before, um, or something that you've covered at least publicly. Uh, but what's made you, what's motivated you to kind of want to explore this topic? Well, I mean, I don't, I, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of factors at play. One is I just, um, it's always been something that I have kind of dealt with online but anonymously and that's all I'll say about that <laughs> but um <laughs> but I but it's, it is something that I've dealt with and thought about and and created a lot of content around just not with my name attached um but mm. uh recently um I don't know if just other just conversations I've had with people and friends of mine and people I trust have been just kind of saying like you should talk more about this publicly and and I can see why they're saying that and I think that there are it feels like it could be helpful in some ways to talk Definitely. about things. And also for myself, I think that there is a feeling of wanting to bring my whole self to my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that as I embark on the process of writing this book, I'm going to have to write about a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> that yeah. I, you know. And so I'm like kind of sort of like greasing the wheels for that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go there. So I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Might, might as well start now. <laughs> <laughs> and you you have two teens as well, right? So you're probably kind of dealing with that stuff in, in that yeah. sense as well. I do. I have two teens. And that's something that I'm still like sorting out how to navigate through because there is a situation with both of them where like their teachers know who I am and they read my work. And so right. it's like, how do I, how do I work through that? I don't yeah. really know. Yet. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's something that I'm just at the beginning of thinking about. But one thing I've learned uh, is that I've, having done a few podcasts is that for some, for some reason, podcasts are like a good, small, easy place to start. Rarely mm-hmm. does something happen on a podcast that becomes like a major story, you know, unless it's like what Mark Maron. What are you trying to say? Something crazy yeah. like <laughs> I'm trying to say that all of our podcasts... My, my no little podcast this. isn't going to get a massive PR hit. <laughs> all of our little podcasts. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So there's so many. And I don't know. It's just... A, I, I just I just like it. I just like... I like it. I like... I mean, I'm a writer, but I also... Talking is so much easier than writing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't... You know, it just kind of flows. At least for me. Maybe that's not the case for everyone. But that is the case for me. And so, I don't know. It's, I'm just ready to like go to the next level yeah. with put it all out there that. yeah exactly yeah awesome um so you are going to talk a little bit about your story I do want to put out just like a quick little trigger warning um for anyone who has dealt with trauma in their life uh Carvel will be kind of covering that topic so if that's something that um maybe you're not ready to listen to feel free to tune out um and come back for the next episode but 
I'm going to kind of give you the reins here to kind of talk about Mm. your story um, and start wherever you feel comfortable and kind of take it from there. Mm. You know, one thing I am thinking a lot about in 2019 is, um, you know, how, like, uh, my experience has been that men have a really hard time understanding how to... um, relate to sex and sexuality in a way that's healthy and and not harmful. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that comes from so many places. And um, I think that when I look at my own experience, um, there's like the stuff that happens internally, the stuff that happens privately, and the stuff that happens socially. And those all conspire to make a certain sort of like worldview on sex. And uh, I think there's like tremendous limitations in that worldview and a lot of harm gets caused. And I think that I feel like there's a dismantling that has to happen. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Like my experience, um, I discovered, unfortunately, I mean, I unfortunately discovered quote unquote sex really early. I had some traumatic experiences as a very young child, everything from, you know, like what are so-called goofy things like me and my brother finding like a stash of porn magazines and pouring over them when we were like six and seven years old Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, like my age, like sort of coincides with the, um, with the insertion of the VCR into like the American (laughs) entertainment lexicon. And so it was one of those things where like, kind of like what's happening now, like the parents didn't quite know what to do about this new technology. And so we would always be renting these like really raunchy comedies that were just like ridiculously uh, like objectifying and misogynistic. And it was like, every joke was just like a boobs joke. And, you know, everyone was just had like, titties bouncing all over the place all the time and that was hilarious and guys were always trying to get laid and they were like stealing girls underwear and like yeah thinking, you know and I feel like, like that's that's the lexicon of the entire yeah. <laughs> comedy industry growing up yeah <laughs> thought that was the funniest shit ever and you know we could not get enough of that and so there was that but then also like personally I was like experiencing some like really horrific things I uh there was a point in my life at which um my mother and I were we were I mean effectively homeless we were evicted from this place and we bounced around from situation to situation for like a year and in, you know one of those situations that we lived in I like was the victim of pretty consistent just like sexual assault and torture by the people that lived there and I never told my mother about it and I you know I did what victims do which is I thought it was my fault and I had let this happen to me and you know I didn't know how to stand up for myself and it was like all that kind of stuff um, and then later in my life, um, a few years after that, my mother actually s- sort of sent me away to live with someone else because she couldn't, felt like she couldn't take care of me financially or otherwise. And so, uh, soon after that, um, I was assaulted by a babysitter who was a lot older than me. And, you know, and there were just all these like wonky, crazy introductions to sex and sexuality, quote unquote, um, that I like experienced. And, um, I also had really mixed feelings about all of it because there were parts of that, that I liked. And that bothered me a lot as an adult when I look back on it and I, you know, and like, um, it was really hard for me to parse out. It's, it's not uncommon for men who have sexual experiences with who are children, um, who have sexual experiences with older women and teenagers who were, they're, you know, five, six, seven, ten years, they're seniors. It's not uncommon for boys to think of that as, like, something they liked and something that, that was good and something that they wanted and they were super into it. Mm-hmm. And, and all people, the- too. I mean, with all uh, sexual contact, like, there is an element of pleasure. And that can be hard to conflate with something that you know isn't right, uh, right. With, with the feeling that you got from it. Right, right. And, like, I, I didn't, I mean... I didn't know these things necessarily weren't right even. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, because the cult, because like, especially with the babysitter, so much of the culture was like, yeah, get girls to do stuff with you. Like, that's what it's about. And so this felt like some kind of like advanced level accomplishment. Like, wow, not even, not only did I get a girl to quote, do stuff with me, but I got this older girl to do stuff with me. And I was like, really? And so there was this feeling of, I had accomplished something and I was, I really did interpret it as an expression of I don't want to say love but like an expression of affection on her part like I really interpret it as like 
I was so great and so irresistible and so charming and so cute that she like did all this. She couldn't stuff. help herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When did yeah. you realize yeah. that it wasn't normal? Uh, well, the, I mean, it was, a, there, there is no like one moment that you, yeah. that you change your point of view on, on a story that you've held forever. It's, it, it, it evolves over time, but someone told, pointed out to me, that if that happened, I have two kids now and someone pointed out to me, you know, I was kind of saying like, yes, technically that counts as like assault, rape of some type, but it was fine. Like I didn't really, I was kind of into it, you know, and so, and then someone was like, but imagine that it happens to your son. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I think of it? It's, yeah, that's <laughs> funny. When you're looking at yourself, it's so different when you're with this, when it's your kids and you can be like, hey, wait, yeah. they're the age yeah. that that person would have like yes. it's yeah you kind of can you just yeah. don't see yourself as ever being that child you yeah. kind of feel yeah, like exactly. you are always an adult making that's choices right. yes that's exactly right and it's such a weird thing um and I remember another I remember having a conversation with that same friend of mine uh and she was looking she was showing me this picture of her when she was like 14 or something and she said something like look at like like look at that girl she's so sexy or something like that and I was like she's not trying to be sexy and she, my friend was like oh that's right thank you like that's right and she was like it just I that struck me because it like she was like kind of realizing that she even had this narrative about herself yeah that she was like putting out some kind of sexuality that was hard hard for people to resist and I was like she's not doing that that's no she's, she's just, just existing she's just at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> totally and and i and i i don't know so that it, it just was it's just as fascinating to me um the ways in which we have a hard time making these connections mm -hmm. um and yeah and like what so as i grew older i my i like my sexuality always felt we, super weird to me I was always really obsessed and interested in it way before anyone I knew was I vividly remember being a kid and like like my friends being like you like naked ladies like that's weird <laughs> I was like doesn't everyone do like what like what are we talking about like I, I and I remember feeling like oh I, I'm like in some other state that no, that normal kids aren't in and then as I got older, my interest in sex, like I just was always thinking about it, like when I was 13, 14, which felt relatively normal. Yeah. Um, according to what I, I heard, but I didn't talk to anyone about it. So I didn't have any point of reference yeah. for it. But, um, and that, I mean, that's totally normal too. I, I'd say, I mean, I don't really know about this generation. I hear they're a lot better than we were, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, you're kind of just struggling through this coming to realize that you have sexual interest in like feeling yeah. turned on all the time by everything, but not really yeah. communicating that to anyone. Yeah. And like, I did, I mean, I, and I, I think that one of the things that happened is like, one of the living situations I was in, I didn't live with my mother for a long time. I lived with different families. And one of the living situations I was in was around the time that I was like hitting puberty and they like, God bless them, but they dealt with it. Like, it's almost like they opened up a page to what's the worst way to deal with someone's budding sexuality. And they just like did everything from that chapter. Oh, no. they, there was like so much shame, so much mm -hmm. like, just like, this is wrong. You're wrong. You're disgusting. What you're doing is like offensive you, you know, it was just, like, horrific. And, like, I've since made peace with those people and where they were coming from, and I understand that they had their own sets of issues, but it also made me, it also made me just this really confusing relationship to sex because, on the one hand, it always felt to me, and I didn't have the words for this then, I didn't discover these words till much later, but it felt to me, like, fundamentally energetic and life-affirming. Mm -hmm. Like, I... Like I was like, that's the way I feel about it now. Like the, it's this path towards connection and like, and like just the creation of life. And sometimes in my biggest philosophical thinkings, I think of everything is just either life affirming or life destroying. And, and, and I think of sex as like having the potential to be incredibly life affirming, but then so much of what I, of the models that were laid out for me weren't quite that told you they the opposite in fact the opposite yeah. yeah and I didn't know that I didn't have the language to parse that out so I just kind of like 
I was like, so I just didn't know where I, where I fit. Yeah. I felt confused and weird. That's a super confusing time because it is like, it is like that, that feeling feels very powerful. Like even like, I definitely relate to what you're saying is at a young age, you kind of, when you're kind of developing that sexuality, you do feel like this is a really powerful energy. Like something about this is telling me that it's a good thing but then you have all this messaging coming at you telling you the exact opposite so you're kind of having this inner battle where you can't help but feel those feelings like you can't stop it it's very hormonal but at the same time you're being told that having them is wrong so yeah yeah there was just tremendous shame around it and um and you know when I finally like I you know I had my sort of early experiences my early consensual experiences, you know starting around fourteen and I was really into them. They were like it was like it was incredible. It was like the level of energy I just felt like the first time I like kissed someone or the first time someone like you know let me like grope them a little bit and kind of groped me back. Like I just was like this is the greatest thing ever. Why is everyone <laughs> doing this all the time? Like what? what are we doing guys have you heard about guys have you heard about sex <laughs> do you guys like um, sex <laughs> um and uh and that was the way i felt about it and then everything kind of turned into dime once like intercourse was introduced which for me happened around 16 um i had the first time i had like penis in vagina hetero intercourse i just was so overwhelmed with so many feelings and only some of them were good. Um, I was like, I sort of wanted to disassociate. I couldn't orgasm at all. I like faked an orgasm the first time <laughs> I had sex. Uh, and I was really worried because I was, you know, like the 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 sort of like fear for all the teenage boys is like, oh, you're going to come too quick. It's going to be so like, my friends were like, don't, don't fucking come too soon, dude. You know, it was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so then when I was like finally with this person and we were doing it, it felt really good, but also I wanted it to stop. Mm. I wanted it to be over. It was like this really weird feeling. I was like, this feels amazing. And also I want nothing more than to be out of this room right now. This is the worst thing ever. It was so weird. And um, again, I didn't have any language for that. I didn't know what that was. So I just was like, yeah, I'm having sex. That's what I'm doing. Like, I guess I'm a sexual guy. Everyone, you know, like that was the only way I knew to process it. And I, uh, but this thing about not being able to have an orgasm, it just like followed me. I, and I, I couldn't understand it. And I felt really embarrassed about it and ashamed of it. And yeah, it was confusing. Um, and, uh, and then that was, and then there were times in high school when I started um, being sexual with boys and it was a totally different set of feelings. Um, it was like really powerful and amazing. And I just really was really into it. But I was also really, really interested in girls. And I just was like, I don't know what's going on or what it's called. And I'm super weirded out by it. And and the whole time, there's this undercurrent of shame, just like incredible Mm -hmm. shame that there's something wrong with the way I do everything. I'm disgusting. If anyone knew what I was really like, they would hate me. It just was a nightmare, kind of. (laughs) Yeah. And at that time, I'm assuming there wasn't really any community or people that you could really talk to about it either. No. There wasn't really a great, I mean, it wasn't, it, I, I went to high school in Los Angeles in the 90s. Okay. So it was pretty, I mean, you know, it was like happening. Like it wasn't like I was in a small town anymore. Um, and so, and I went to an arts high school. So like, it was like people were, you know, we were out there. There was people like, there was like a, there was like a LGBT group at my school that I was sort of part of. But I also think that it was, the discourse was fairly thin overall mm-hmm. um uh i think we were just i think there was the, as far as we had gotten was like hey being gay is okay, it's okay guys. yeah <laughs> that's, pretty much the most, that's it <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh but there, like i think there's so many aspects of queerness that i've come to understand so many nuances of it so many philosophical ways of understanding it as a way of being in the world not just a way of being in the bedroom Mm -hmm. um that I had no access to at that time and when I later learned that those ideas it was like finally like oh a whole world yeah the reasons why I felt the way I felt my whole life kind of thing Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's I mean that's that's really interesting like I had the same thing so we had 
you know, and, and at the time it was an LGBT or no, not LGBT. It wouldn't even be, was it T? Yeah. Was I don't it think T there was yet? A, yeah. Was there a T? yeah I, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think there was a T there at that point. I think it was just me. the like gay and lesbian alliance yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that was, I mean, it, it existed and it was okay, but I think that there was a lot of people who weren't even, didn't even feel comfortable enough to come out yet who maybe yeah. knew that they had those feelings just because there may have been like a presence, but there was still so much shame and so much bullying that would happen if you did claim that identity right. for yourself. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's funny because all the way through, I had this just vague, like little tiny voice being like, I'm pretty sure this is cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like all we're doing is like enjoying <laughs> each other and like, I don't think we're doing anything wrong, you know? And everyone else would be like, this is terrible. And there'd be like the religious angle and there'd be like, you know, whatever, just like general bullying. And there'd just be all these forces telling me this other thing, but I was never fully convinced that there was something wrong with any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I just never fully bought that. It just seemed like weird to think that I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of that. Why would there be something wrong with this? Yeah. Like, what's the matter? You know, like, we're just, we're not hurting anyone. We're just having a good time, you know. Absolutely. So I don't know. Yeah. So as you kind of got older, did you explore that part of your identity more? Um, did, when, did, like, when did you kind of come to terms with the fact that you were, um, you identify as queer, yeah? Right. Yeah, yeah I do. Okay. So um, when, did, when did you feel that kind of queerness uh, yeah, become part of you? Well, that, yeah, that's where it gets really, like, confusing because I would have sexual experiences with guys all the way through college in my 20s and stuff, but it always felt like it was, like, something, it was, like, this kind of thing on the side. This right. Kind of secret thing that I was into. And, like, I wasn't secretive about it. Like, I people knew and I told people, but it never felt integrated with my life necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and I don't really understand fully why that is it's just oh and, well and it's <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I understand yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well but then but then as I've gotten older I've like started to wonder am I like like I, the thing is when I started really thinking about this stuff in a new way for me is when I started thinking of the whole thing as being just a big old spectrum mm-hmm. and because I think for a lot of those years, I was like looking for a position. Like this is this is what I am. I this, this is who I am. Yeah. This is who I am. Yeah. And what I have found is that I have a really hard time even understanding why it is we need to figure it out and name it. I mean, I, I think it's. I mean, I do understand why we need to name it, but I also feel like in general, I it it just feels to me like I'm just into who I'm into and mm-hmm. sort of want to do it with who I want to do it with. And it kind of doesn't really, you know, and I think there's a lot of weird stuff, you know, it was just like recently bisexual day or whatever. And that word is always like stressed me out because it always felt so binary and yeah. I get the, why people use it, but it just always felt to me like it's either like one or the other, like I, I am into women and men. So ha, but like <laughs> that, I don't know. It's like, it's like you're, no, I don't. I'm not like right in the middle. There are times when I'm like really interested in women, and times when I'm really interested in men, and times when I'm really interested in literally no one, mm-hmm. and I want everyone to leave me alone. And you know, there are times when I I go through these crazy cycles where not crazy cycles. I see that's my judgment calling crazy cycle. I go through these cycles where I will not want to have sex with anyone for a super long time. I'm gonna live in a cave. I'm just gonna write. No one. You know what I mean? Like I'm just gonna like. It's going to be it. Sure. And the only, I, I always joke that the, the masturbation is the only safe sex. And <laughs> I, I still feel that way. Like I really do. Um, and then, then I go, I go through a phase like that. And then I go through a phase where I like want to date 700 people. Yeah. In 700 different ways. I'm like <laughs> dating three. I'm sleeping with two. I'm sexting with five people in another city. You know, I'm just, Damn, like, you're good. just enjoying it all. <laughs> it's just like, everything is great. I'm having a great time. Everyone, we're just all enjoying it. And then, and then there's a period when I don't want to talk to anyone. And there's a period when I just want to be with one person and it all mm-hmm. just keeps changing. And for many years, I was like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I figure it out? Right. And again, a friend of mine said to me, you have figured that out. 
out. You know what you want. You're doing do. it. You want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you want to do. Yeah. And, and it, I was like, that's, oh. that's the thing about like the, the labeling. I do like, there is importance to it because mm. it gives people a way to kind of come into their own and to take that space and be like, this is what I am. And I'm taking this label um, to kind of, it's almost like, it, it's almost political still at this point where yes, you kind of have absolutely. to be seen. Uh, yes. And, but I also see that other, like that fluidity. I think that that is, if we lived in a per- perfect world, we wouldn't need any labels at all obviously and we could just be fluid and do what we wanted and do the stuff that felt good when it felt good but uh and I I actually feel the same way about um feminism is it like I remember this time I think it was Meryl Streep came out and she said that I'm a humanist and there was kind of this Mm. big uproar of all these feminists that were like but I get like I get what she's saying we're just not there yet like, right. yes, it would be great if we, you know, right. we could just right. all humans fight for equality, et cetera, et cetera. But right, right. now right. taking that label feels good as right. a, like a political statement, but totally right. I, I get that, that fluidity of like, cause I, like I do, um, identify as bisexual, but it's never like, I want half of a man and half of a woman every, every <laughs> single day. It's, it's, I find that like some days I feel like I'm more into women, like some months I feel like I'm more into women. Some like months I feel like I'm more into men. And like some mm-hmm. days, like you mm-hmm. said, like I'm just like mm-hmm. on my grind and I'm just, I don't want anyone at all. I just need mm-hmm. to put my head down and get all my shit done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess, like, one of the things that I find myself, because to me, it always does come back to what is the political way to, like, sex is, can be so um, life-affirming, but it can also be so destructive, and the ways that we use it can be so destructive, and I find myself thinking a lot about that, and what it means to move out of that space, and... um I was talking with a friend about dating and relationships and sex, which is almost all I ever talk about with my friends. And, um, and she said something like um, that what is missing and what she's learning how to do and be with people who do is be responsible for yourself in the interaction. In other words, like to, to completely own and understand who you are and what you bring. And the, I was thinking about that in terms of men and what we do and bring. And so much of what we're taught as men, and I think this happened, I think this is the default setting for a lot of heterosex. Uh, um, I will say that my, um, I will say that my experience has been that queer people are <laughs> more evolved, which is a joke I make a lot. <laughs> and some people laugh at it and some people don't. But, um, but I think that one of the ways in which um, the world of heterosex is kind of like regressive is that the default still seems to be that penis and vagina fucking is the goal. Yep. So we're all, we're trying to get to that and we want to get there quickly and we want to avoid any roadblocks that might stand in the way of that. Like we want to navigate around them. We don't want to like, you know, and so if feelings come up that are weird and we're like, I don't want to deal with this unless I have to, if questions come up that might, that might stall. We don't want to deal with that unless we have to. We're trying to get to the penis and vagina sex because that's the goal. That's what we've been taught is the goal. And I see that, have seen that play out a lot in my life. And what I've seen in other spaces and communities is that un, unlike that, the, the, the goal is to actually bring your whole self, your mm-hmm. whole thing that you're feeling. And, and I was, as a, as a man, I was shocked to, to learn that I actually had, um, mixed feelings about intercourse and sex like that was weird because i didn't i'd never heard a man say that that like sometimes during sex he wanted to dissociate sometimes he kind of didn't want to be there sometimes he felt a little stressed out he sometimes he had anxiety sometimes he (laughs) his mind drifted sometimes he was like kept couldn't stop thinking about like some banana bread recipe and he's like i'd never heard men talk about that the only thing i ever heard from men was like you want to fuck and then you're trying to fuck and then you fuck and you're like, I fucked. And then you go home and you're like, yeah, I fucked. And you tell everyone like that that's was the, and I was like that, I don't know if other guys were feeling that way, but I'm not feeling that way. I'm feeling like all these feelings are coming up, all these anxieties and fears and doubts and concerns and desires and things I want to say, but I don't know how to say them. These are all in there. And 
no one I knew was talking about it. And so I thought that my job as a man was to sort of soldier on with a stiff upper lip uh, and stiff everything else in order to get to that. To that. <laughs> and that's interesting because we always either make fun of or shame or um, want to fix women who have that, who are, you know, thinking about other things during sex or have anxiety right. or right. having emotions. But right. that is a lot more talked about like as more it's talked about as an issue as a problem because you you're supposed to kind of I mean it would be great obviously we'd all love to let go and have amazing sex and not think about all those things but at the same time you're a human being doing human things at like you are going to have those thoughts and it's okay to kind of not be a hundred percent invested in your sex all the time but it's it's true I've never I've never actually heard anyone talk it from talk about it from a male perspective because obviously you're just supposed to be ready to go and like hard and having sex and then having the sex is the goal and you're the one that's enjoying it and it's just the the women are the ones that are being the problems and having thoughts and (laughs) and emotions over in the corner yeah yeah and i think that what happens when you try to push that way of being onto a situation is that you don't first of all you don't have intimacy because you can't have intimacy without honesty. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, you can have closeness without honesty, but you can't have intimacy. And for me, I have just my set of experiences and all however I'm built for whatever fucking reasons. I, in order for me to enjoy sex at this point in my life, I have to have trust and safety, which means I have to have intimacy. And this is partially it's because of the fact I, I've really thought about this. I think that part of this is because I, because I couldn't like have an orgasm from fucking, I couldn't just like pump and dump, you know what I mean? Or dump and pump, whatever <laughs> they call it. I couldn't do that. So it could never feel transactional to me. It's, mm-hmm. Even though I tried to make it feel transactional because that was what I was, that's the only thing I knew that never felt complete. And when I would finally learn that it could be something other than transactional, which again is a thing that I learned in like queer communities and in queer, even like, even i learned it from queer influenced and queer led spaces mm-hmm. that, that, that sex could be something more than just, okay, now we start doing stuff to each other until everyone jizzes. And then that's it. <laughs> it's like that, that it could be all of this stuff. Like it could be the buildup and the stop and we could take a break and we could drink some water and we could talk a little bit and we could do some more stuff. I didn't, when I learned that that was the option, I was like, well, that sounds way better because now no one. And orgasm doesn't even need to happen. Doesn't even need to. It's great if it does, but it doesn't have to. And I like that because then I felt like I felt some pressure released because I didn't have to like come in and be like this, like penis robot that could just like deliver you know, like all night long. And the, where, where do you get one of those? Is, that, <laughs> is there like a site for that? I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a guy. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, no. And so like, I think that, I think that like, I when I started backing up, I started thinking, God, how much of harm that men perpetrate is, mm. would be headed off if we actually felt like we could just, spend time with our feelings as they come up that like the feeling of maybe feeling a little bit embarrassed or unsure or out of control is it or um or a little bit awkward during a sex act or the build-up to a sex act that we could deal with that by owning that and saying to ourselves or maybe to our partner i feel a little bit awkward let's slow down let's maybe can we like drink drink some water or something and like just kind of kick it for a little bit and kind of build our way up that, that if men could do that, maybe we wouldn't do so much pushing through and, and projecting that shit onto other people and trying to like force things. Cause we check, when we check out of our own feelings, we check out of other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I've been like thinking a lot about the consent stuff. Like, the area of consent known as fuzzy consent, like the whole sort of like world of no one said no. Right. People, everyone sort of said yes. And yet people feel bad afterwards, but Hey, I didn't do anything. She said, yes. I'm like, yeah. so much of that has to do with the fact that as a guy, 
you didn't know how to hear and feel mm -hmm. what she was communicating. And you didn't know how to make space for that because you don't know how to do that for yourself. You don't even know that that's a thing. And so I feel like that this notion of being able to sit with your feelings as you have them and to accept that it's all a part of being with a person is a way of thinking about sex that I never hear anyone talking about, but that's what I'm discovering in my own practice. Like literally, and I think of it sometimes as a practice and mm -hmm. I'm seeing this person now who I, I like love so much. Like I love her so much. And one of the things that the last time we were together, she lives across the country. Um, and so we can only see each other for these like periods of time. And the last time we were together, we were like, did all this nature stuff. We're like in the woods and we're at the beach and the cliffs and the ocean and stuff. And then towards the end, we then we went to this like restaurant that was in the middle of this like garden, this this like succulent garden. And we were just taking pictures of all these plants and flowers. And there's like, I really love plants and I'm really into them. And so was she. And so we were talking about all this stuff. And then on the way back, we're driving through these mountains. And she said, this is all sex. Like <laughs> all of this is sex. Like being with you here, looking at these plants, being around these mountains, going to visit this tree, being at the beach, like ordering food. This is all sex. And yes. that's where I feel like I'm, I'm like at now because it, it is all sex. And like one of the things that was really powerful about one of the first times we were together is that maybe like we we like spent five days together. And then like on the last day, it was awkward because I was going to leave and we were all feeling some kind of way about that. And so it was just and then I, we had shared some stuff that I think both of us were like, we're like, did we overshare? So it was just kind of awkward, you know, in the room. And then <laughs> we started having sex. And like, honestly, it would the sex was a little bit weird. It was like, is she into this? Am I into this? What are we doing? Like, this is kind of weird. And yet there was this there was something about that experience where any other person that I can think of, any other experience I can think of having, I would have thought, well, I, I come, come on, get out of your head, get in the game, get in the game, son. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like man up. You know? <laughs> You've got, you have a job to do. You need to get out of your head and do this job. And, uh, and if she's not feeling it, you've got to figure out how to make her feel it. You've got to, does she, maybe she wants this, maybe she wants that. And, something about the way that we had been all week together didn't made me feel like I didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel like she, and I think she felt like she didn't have to manage that either, that we could just be sort of awkward and kind of like still sort of do it. And it was a little bit weird and, and like is, you know, and, and then suddenly you realize, wait, I don't even really know this person. You know, it's like that suddenly you're like, wait, who this, this, this like person I barely know is like, naked sitting on my dick like what is going on <laughs> all of a sudden you get all alienated and I think we were having this moment and yet this thing happened where we just in some almost nonverbal way were both present with that that yeah this is kind of awkward yeah I'm sad that you're leaving yes we don't really know each other yes we're kind of falling in love yes the sex isn't the greatest sex ever but here we are this sense of like I'm here and I felt like this person was bringing their whole self and they were, they were taking responsibility for everything they were bringing. I felt like I felt safe to bring my whole self and to say, this is where I'm at and this is what it is. And then that sex in a weird way, and we talked about this later, when I look back on it, there were moments of that sex that were in a weird roundabout way hotter than almost any sex I've ever had. And I've had all the all the sex, like all the there's not a thing that's happened that you could put in a movie that I haven't <laughs> done at some point. It's been a long time that I've been having sex. And but this thing between the two of us felt like something completely else. And I think it had to do with the fact that we had some capacity to fully bring our whole selves to this exchange. And that intimacy, that honesty, that safety, it was almost like that's the missing piece for complete life-affirming sex is the way I thought of it. So that's what I'm thinking that. about these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, uh, just, just nice and easy thoughts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that is intimacy, though, is showing up however you are and just yeah. being there with that, right? Um, but how, if, if you're someone who's listening to this, if you are especially someone who identifies as male, who's listening to this, 
who wants to work on this type of Mm. thing, who maybe um, Mm. has grown up in the same way that you did, where it was just like, this is your job. You show up, you fuck, Mm -hmm. you brag about fucking, you Mm -hmm. talk about how you're Mm going to fuck next. And Mm -hmm. like, what, how do you start? Where do you start with this? What, what's worked for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I think, I mean, if I like were to reverse engineer like my sexual experiences, I think a couple of things have happened. I think, um, I used to joke, I mean, this is, people are going to reject this advice, but I don't give a shit. So (laughs) I used to joke that one of the things I liked about sleeping with men is that it was like, (laughs) it was like user research. Like, in other words, it showed me what it's like to be with men. Mm-hmm. and it's like if you're building a product i used to work in a tech company it's like if you're building a product you should use the product so you know what the user is experiencing when they're using your app and it's like you don't really know what it's like to be with a man until you are and mm-hmm. i think that that's a really big part of like just beginning to understand things that you don't understand i would recommend getting with a dude um, I think this is my favorite piece of advice I have ever received. I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're telling me you're going to go your whole life and just put your dick down like a hundred people's throats and you're never going <laughs> to suck a dick ever. How do you know what's going on? You have no idea what you're doing. So, like, you know what I mean? It's actually kind of funny. I, I, my husband actually says, um, he's like, He's like, I, he's like, I don't know if I, if I'm gay or not, I haven't seen every dick. Maybe there's a dick out there I'm going to see. And I'm going to be like, you know what? That's the dick for me. <laughs> it's like, give it a shot. Just, just, just think of it as like a favor to all the women that you're going to sleep with later. Um, and uh, so that you understand something. I think that's one. I think another thing that has really worked for me is I've always had lots of female friends. Um, and part of the reason why is because, I mean, guys are fine, but like growing up, I just, I just could only last so long in like bro culture, just all the fucking posturing and all the like, just whatever. I just was like, come on guys, like we can do better than this. And I really liked my female friends because they talked about feelings and emotions and like, and they talked about, they talked about feelings and emotions and I liked that. And so all those years of listening to women talk about their sexual experiences maybe has helped me have some space for a way of being sexual that isn't just the dude model. I really mm-hmm. think that you have to prioritize getting away from the default model, the, from the dude model. I think that I think the dude model is, um, you know, this idea that like you're. We've covered it a lot here today, but like that you're supposed to just present this like hard dick and never have any, and you're supposed to always want to get laid twenty four seven, and you're supposed to provide her with like a night of pleasure, and then that's gonna be, she's gonna come crawling back. That is one experience, but that is not in any way, shape, or form the totality of all that can be good sexually. And porn and movies and all media just harps and harps on this one exchange Mm -hmm. that really only makes up like 10% of all possible, if that, 10% of all possible sexual exchanges. And so I would suggest like just letting yourself be open to the idea that like interrogate your own feelings do you really want to be like do you really want to fuck right now do you really want to like are you really um do you feel safe it's like a question that i think men have a really hard time asking themselves um and i was blown away the first time it dawned on me that i actually frequently didn't feel safe during sex i was like what not feeling safe that's lady stuff (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how could I not feel safe? But lo and behold, I'm like, no, that's actually was a thing. I, I would like not sure be sure if I trusted my partner, like to yeah. if I just felt like I could just like let it go with them, or if I felt like I had to perform and do something or impress them or please them in some way that was like unnatural to me. It was like all that stuff. So my advice is like, I think yeah, get with dudes for starters, so you know the experience <laughs> of having a dude like waving his dick in your face because you can't you can't fake that. You know what I mean? You got to have the game day experience, fellas. <laughs> you can't just do it. By <laughs> um, and uh, and I would say that like make like listen to the women in your life when they talk about what their sexual experience is. Don't look for ways to discount it or protect yourself or prove that you're one of the good guys. Just like listen to what women are saying about their sexual experiences and you'll gain a lot of insight. And they'll also 
my experience is that women will model for you a way of thinking about sex that is more fluid and moving and and takes into account more stuff. There's just so much stuff going on, different feelings and the processing of feelings. Third thing I would say is I, I think in general you have to learn to sit with your feelings, all of them. You don't that doesn't mean every feeling needs to be acted on. It just means that you have to develop a general life practice of naming your feelings and letting them be there. And just being like, I woke up today and I felt scared. That used to happen to me all the time. I would wake up and I would like be scared. Mm. And it was happening for like years before I realized that that's what that was. Like I thought I just needed a cigarette and a cup of coffee, (laughs) you know, (laughs) before I was like, wait, guys, wait, this is fear. I don't know where it comes from. I, I never solved it. I just was able to be like, I never solved the, the root of it or whatever. I just was aware that like, oh, that is a thing that's happening for me right now. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I and I also think that, <clears throat> I think that um, my advice, my probably the last piece of advice to guys is that um, you, like, I am still shocked when women tell me that they don't actually want the biggest, hardest dick all night long. Like, I'm shocked. <laughs> and I'm like, I know that that's, like, my intellect, I'm like, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you know what you want. And yet, come on. Like, are you really being honest? Or are you just being polite to me? Because You know? And um, I think that, like, guys really have to let go of this idea that that is the only way you can, you can enjoy sex and the only way your partner can enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other ways. There's like talking and listening and like making out and dry humping and like, like going and walking around in nature, going and and walking around in nature and like feeding each other fucking tangerines and shit. I mean, there's (laughs) so many cool things you could do and they're all awesome and they're all available to all of us. They're not just for women. They're not just like romantic cheesy shit for women they're available for all of us to enjoy and we have to give ourselves permission to enjoy that stuff. And my experience has been that they make the orgasms, those things, that time makes the orgasms next level. Mm-hmm. You know, you, Jennifer, uh, I, I, I listened to your, um, the, the orgasm like lesson, the 10 minute orgasm lesson that you gave. Yeah. And I was like, Yes, that's that, I know that's directed to women, but guys actually, we can do. Yeah, that. they can do the same thing. Yeah, we can do the same thing, and we can have these crazy experiences. I've had experiences where, um, even just recently, where we were doing this with the same person. We did all this stuff in the hotel room in the bath. It was like a bathtub outside under the redwood trees. I mean, it was nuts. And then there was some point at which we finally got in bed and we're like doing it, quote unquote, like in the old fashioned way. Now we're doing it, and. I reached this point where I was like orgasmic, but not actually (laughs) ejaculating or having an orgasm. Like it was like suddenly my whole body was in another dimension. I could feel everything, every like touch of this person's hand, every muscle in this person's body, every muscle in my body, trees, stars, lights. It was like, just like the movies. Like I had this experience and I didn't ejaculate and I didn't finish quote unquote and you know, but that I, I was not capable of having that kind of thing before I was capable of before I started learning how to like do all this other stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. So, I'd say toxic masculinity is stopping a lot of people from having intense, amazing, earth shattering orgasms or yeah. orgasmic experiences. Orgasmic experiences. Yeah, that's that that has been my experience. And like. Honestly, I would have been slightly skeptical even a few years ago. I would have been like, really? Like, oh, yeah. really? Or is this just some hippie shit? Yeah, <laughs> trust me. I feel I'm, the same way. I'm like, yeah. I, I prefer a nice science-based thing that I can wrap my head around. <laughs> but I've I've felt some stuff in my body where I'm like, okay, all right. Maybe those yeah. hippies are right about something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's also, and I think another thing to like, that I would say to guys, and I, and again, I, this is something I learned from women, and especially from like when I started, like, you know, one of the I, I was just joking with someone last night. One of the best things that happened to me is that when I turned, when I was in my mid twenties, I moved to the Bay Area from New York, and then I discovered all these like sex 
like sex educator types, like all these sex nerds, like yeah. Carol Queen and Nina Hartley and like all these, you know, and like Tristan Taormina, like all these yeah. women who were doing all this, like re- this, like this, like women centric queer led PhD sex nerdery. And I'm so glad that I discovered that stuff because I think if I had like stayed maybe in, in another timeline and just was this guy with this weird, shame about sex who knows what weird disgusting shit i'd be into now like i think that i think that i like no no kink shaming here (laughs) this is true (laughs) um but i think i discovered that um somewhere in there that like there was this way of i just oh no this is what i was gonna say i discovered that i could learn and explore that was the thing that i could actually learn and explore and practice and like learn new things about how to own and understand pleasure, how to Mm -hmm. feel pleasure. Not even, and like for a while there was like, and how do you give pleasure? Like this idea of like, I'm going to be the tantric master. I'm going to like give every woman an orgasm just by touching her temples. And like, there's this, again, there's this like male, like superhero obsession that I think is a little creepy when weird myself. That's my opinion. And I think that there was a time even too, when I thought, Oh, I'm just going to like learn how to be the best lover, whoever lived or whatever. But even that is kind of, I, I couldn't, that didn't please me. That just pleased my ego. Mm-hmm. The thing that like, it took me a long time to learn that, Oh, whatever weird orgasmic stuff that I can sort of experience, I can learn more about that and I could try new things with it. And yeah. I and that, like, I mean, that's yeah, a, like yeah. the, we have this society that's teaching men that they should be sex obsessed and that should be their only goal in life. And yet they're not learning as much as possible about this one thing that they're supposed to be obsessed with. Like you can if you right. really are that into it, if that's your main goal is just to get pussy, then right. you need to like learn as much as possible about what to do to get that pussy in the best way like we're not we're not we're not looking for you to exactly the thing is like in a way that doesn't hurt people because like people are out here fucking hurting each other and Mm -hmm. that has to stop like this is supposed to be a fucking dope ass thing that nature just gave us like what is that you're telling me anyone can experience this like thing where you suddenly feel like you're on like cosmic drugs like and it's just there for us that is crazy yep. <laughs> and so that is so dope that we have that and and it's such a bummer that we use it to harm people so bad mm-hmm. i mean we're all coming from trauma like whether right. it's it's big trauma or well whether it's little tiny traumas over time that have built up i don't think any of us are functioning at a hundred percent healthy Mm-hmm. sexual interactions mm-hmm. and it's it's almost impossible just because of the world that we live in the way our society treats sex the way that culture treats sex and so we're all kind of coming into this a little bit damaged but mm-hmm. the goal is to unlearn as much as you possibly can and to cause the least amount of harm you possibly can how did you like get to a place where i mean you grew up in a society <laughs> oh, oh yes and i i'm perfect so <laughs> well it's i for me i was i mean as most teenagers are i was i was obsessed with sex when i was young and it just kind of it started with learning and it started mm-hmm. with learning like scientifically i just wanted to know as like how to have orgasms i wanted to know like everything to do with my body and how it worked i just got really obsessed with that and i had a very uh, I will say it like my mom was extremely good with mm. teaching about mm. like what sex was. And she was mm-hmm. very open about that, which I think mm-hmm. was helpful because I didn't have as much as the, sh- of the shame coming from like my family side of things. Mm. But I, I really do feel like, like we're, it's about learning as much as possible, but it's also about unlearning all the bullshit. And that's mm. the hard part. You get to a certain age where you're like, hey, like, I feel like something could be better in my life. Like, I feel like maybe I'm not doing this right. Or like, I need to figure out how to live more authentically. But you have been learning how to do it wrong for your whole life. Like you've been, you've been mm. inundated with these ideas that are extremely damaging for so long. So much shame so much negativity and misinformation and you kind of have to unbuild that before you can build yourself back up. That's, that's always my advice is you start with the unlearning and then Mm. build the new learning on top of it. 
Yeah, you know, another thing I that makes me think of is this thing about being gentle with yourself and forgiving of your learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really tricky thing because there's, there's a thin line between being gentle with yourself and and just excusing your shitty behavior. And those two things aren't the same. <laughs> yes. But I do think that a lot of men, what keeps us from interrogating the ways we need to change is that we don't know how to be accepting of our shortcomings, which ironically, mm. paradoxically, you have to do in order to change them. And so what most people, men, like to do is reject the implication of shortcoming and try to get ahead of it so that no one ever... So we don't want to be... No one will find it. it. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to be... We don't want to fix it because then we'll have to admit that it was broken and then we were doing it wrong and then everyone will know and then no one will like us. And, and we don't want that. So we're trying to keep... We're, so like that, I think is, I, my guess is that that's almost like the spiritual impetus for a lot of men's inability to just hear the call to change and right. grow. Um, and my, my other experience is that whatever you do, however you treat yourself is how you treat other people. And so if you lack the ability to be accepting of your growth, then, then you lack the ability to be accepting of other people's growth. Uh, mm-hmm. And that kind of, and that makes you a douche. And um, <laughs> scientifically, scientifically terms, scientifically, douche. you become a douche. Um, and, uh, and conversely, if you learn to accept your own growth, then you learn to be forgiving and accepting of other people's growth. And, and um, the one metaphor I always think of, I think it was, I first heard this from the Buddhist philosopher Thich Nhat Hanh, who said something like, when a baby is crying, we don't ask the baby what's wrong the f- first. We don't fix it first. The first thing we do is we pick up the baby and comfort it mm. and tell the baby it's going to be okay. Shh, it's okay. And then we try to figure out, is it the diaper? Is it, do you need a bottle? Whatever it is. And I feel like um, that that way of the way that we ideally treat children is something that I, I'm learning to do with myself. Like if a child is learning something and they don't know how to do it and a three-year-old is like doing that little game where you put the shapes inside the shape holes and they're trying to put the square one in the round hole, you don't say, you fucking idiot. What is wrong with you? You keep trying to put it in this wrong hole. Like when are you going to get it right? Because you understand that they're learning. They're still learning. And so you're going to gently, even the worst of us, you're still going to mostly gently try to like, you know, we're going to give that some time. We're going to let them learn. We're going to watch it. We're maybe going to show them. Maybe they won't get it. Maybe we'll show them again. We we assume that their inability to do it correctly isn't because they suck. Mm-hmm. It's because they're learning. And I think that we all benefit from treating ourselves that way. Yeah. Our inability to do stuff that we're trying to do. Once you've acknowledged that we need to do things differently, once we've acknowledged that we're trying to change, once we've listened to other people who've helped us say, you know, this is what where you might need to do things differently. This is what you might need to do. Once we have all that, then we also have to be gentle with ourselves as we learn how to do it. Um, because that fear of failure, I think, also keeps a lot of men out of the, the practice of trying to improve. And I know that from my that's my own experience. My I really hate being wrong. Like, I hate it. And <laughs> my and the way I know that is that my kids tell me that. My kids know that I hate being wrong. And it's like, fuck, God damn it, you're so right about that. And so that's a thing I'm really working on. And I think I got that from all the men in my life who had mm-hmm. to be right about everything. And that was how you proved your worth. You were right. You knew the things, you knew the math, you could you could put up the shelves, you understood the science, you knew the best route on you know, to best surface streets to take to get there to be traffic. You knew everything. That was your value as a man. And you can't grow and know everything at the same time. You've got to give one of those two up. And I think that has a lot to do with the the way men are raised is because they that's how, that's how they're supposed to exist, right? You have to to be successful. You have to know everything. You have to be the best at it. You have to just kind of push, drive, go, go, go. What do you think? I mean, I know you're not. <laughs> you, you don't have to have the answer for all society, but mm-hmm. what do you think is a good way for people who are raising boys now? How do we how do we work that out of their upbringing? Mm. 
You know, I like a word that you used a little while ago, Jennifer, which is unlearning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I My experience, the, a really awkward thing about raising kids that I don't think either of us expected was we, when you get a kid, when you get a kid, when a kid goes up. <laughs> when a kid is given to you. When a kid appears, <laughs> um, you, you're like, okay, cool. Blake Slate, watch. I'm going to do everything right. We're going to make sure this kid never does this and only does this and learns this and doesn't learn that. It's and then, surprisingly, it doesn't go the way, it doesn't go down the way you thought it would. Like, Weird. you know. And so what you learn is that, that kids learn all this shit that even if you don't think you're teaching them, they learn it. They learn it from society. They learn it from TV. They learn it from whatever. And so instead of, I think a lot of times, and this is something I really noticed when I was a parenting advice columnist, is parents would always write in and say, how do I keep my kid from doing X, Y, Z? How do I stop them? I have a three-year-old. How do I make sure they never blah, blah, blah. And the thing that I was popping in my head is like, I I don't know if I could say this because I would, I don't want to crush anyone's like dreams, but like, I don't think you get to keep your kid from doing that. I think you're in you from the beginning, almost you're engaged in the process of unlearning for them. You're yeah. trying to untangle the things that everyone is teaching them. And so, so that's just a bigger philosophical thing. So the thing about uh, being wrong uh, and being right, and if it's okay, the main way I think, and I wish I had done this more when my kids were little is that as a parent, especially the male parent, if there is a male parent for boys, is you have to model accepting being wrong and making mistakes. And that's a really key thing that can happen when kids are little because little kids will call you on shit. And as an adult, you'll want to be like, are you crazy? You're just a little kid. You don't know what's going on. And like, <laughs> you can't have a cookie, you know? But you actually, you actually get to say, you're right. Like, you know, it's like, mommy, you said that you weren't going to be on your phone. And then your first impulse is, but you don't understand. I have to do work. And it's like, that's how we're yeah. paying for this. And like, you need, like, you know, and that impulse to defend yourself yeah. as an adult, you, you have to remember that you're, prim- you're modeling something for them. You may be right. You do have to do work and you do have to answer emails. And that's the thing. And like, that's real. And the kid doesn't get that. But what the kid is experiencing is you promise to do this thing and you're not doing it and Mm so and I would like to be able to call you on that in order to understand fairness and justice and if you if your first impulse is to defend yourself then they really do learn something about fairness and justice which is that there isn't any and they shouldn't have to participate in it if you don't and so when when your kid calls you on something that it my advice is like you got to acknowledge that they're right when Mm -hmm. they are when they have a point or even acknowledge that they have a point. I think that's probably the main thing I would think about that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's a really great piece of advice. Oh man, we have covered a lot of (laughs) things today. This has been, this has been awesome. This is a great conversation. I think that we, I think you've given some great tools to people who maybe want to work on being more intimate um, I think your story is very relatable. I think there's a lot of people who are dealing with this, who either have partners, who maybe have grown up. And I mean, we've all grown up in the society that kind of tells men that they have to be a certain way in bed. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's that it's good to kind of hear it from a male perspective as someone who's kind of come out of the other side and been like, I don't want to be like this anymore. Yeah, I don't want to be like this anymore. Although I, the thing is, I, I'm not perfect. No, like, none of us are. None I, of I, us no, are. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge that because sometimes when someone gets on the radio and is like, "Here's what you should do," you want to be like, "Fuck you, buddy. You don't know what you're talking about." And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, this is what I'm struggling with. Yes, and that's that's the thing. Like the best advice is just hearing other people's stories and finding the parts that are relatable and the parts that you want to change as well. So yeah. I think that you, that's that's a service is just being out there and being visible and telling a story. I'm glad that you're coming into this space and that you're going to be talking more about these topics. I think that it's obviously I think it's important. <laughs> I'm doing it every day, but uh, especially from a male perspective, because I mean, I know I know my stuff when it comes to like vulvas and mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the all of the uh the parts of people who who were raised female but uh not as much uh, on the male perspective so i love having 
having people who identify as male onto the show and, and talk about their experiences. Um, is there any kind of closing remarks you want to, to talk about any advice? I mean, you've probably got like a predominantly female audience right now. So if there's anything that you want to say <laughs> to the, to the, uh, the women of the world. No, I don't have anything to say to the women of the world. I think they've yeah. enough. Um. <laughs> that, and that is the best thing that you can say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, Amazing. Yeah, I want to, I guess, thank, I guess I want to thank everyone for listening. And I want to thank everyone for doing the work. And I want to, because I think this, we are trying to make a better life for ourselves and for other people. And I just want to thank everyone who's trying to do that. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Carvel. This was an awesome conversation. Uh, if people want to learn more about you or the work that you do, where can they find you? Um, I have a website, carvelwallace.com, which I publish stuff, but although I haven't published anything in a while because I'm working on bigger projects. And then you can also follow me on Twitter at carvelwallace, C-A-R-V-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Taking Back Slut podcast with Jennifer Doan. Coming up October 6th, I have my G-Spot and Squirting Workshop, where you can go deeper and learn how to have a G-Spot orgasm. To join, follow me on Instagram at J-E-N-N underscore D-O-A-N and follow the link in my bio.